and we welcome you to this edition of Tuesday People, the podcast. I'm your host, Mitch Album. I'm the author of the book Tuesdays with Maury, upon which this podcast is based. Alongside is my friend and producer, Lisa Goich. Hi, Lisa. Hello, Mitch. And in today's uh, episode of the podcast, Lisa and I are really coming at this from the same point of view, because we're going to be talking about writing about loss. And although I wrote the book Tuesdays with Maury, which many of you I imagine are familiar with, or you might not be on this podcast with us, Lisa Goitz <laughs> is, is a wonderful writer as well, and has written now several books dealing with the subject as well, including a new book called I Wonder, A Guided Grief Journal. And we thought, well, this would be kind of interesting since the book is coming out right about now, isn't it? Uh, yes, it yeah. will be t- yeah. today. Today, okay, <laughs> all right, yeah. Uh, we're getting up early. Um, we thought, well, you know, I've written a book about uh, loss. Uh, Lisa has written a book uh, called 14 Days about her, her, her final time with her mom, and then this, I wonder, a guided grief journal. And it is kind of an interesting topic about how do you write about loss? Is it therapeutic? Uh, what do you choose to say? What do you learn from writing about loss. I I can't tell you how many people over the years have come to me at a book signing or something that I've done for Tuesdays with Maury. And afterwards, you know, people will come up and they'll want to get a book signed or they'll want to say hello. And so many people are carrying manila envelopes and they come up and I almost know at this point after two plus decades Mm -hmm. what they're going to say. Um, I love Tuesdays with Maury. It meant so much to me. I lost my brother, sister, child, mother. Right. Uh, and I dealt with it by keeping a diary, or I wrote about our last time together, or this is my Tuesdays with Maury. It's Fridays with Fred, or Thursdays with my grandma, or whatever. And so I know that this is uh, something that is therapeutic in its own way and, and comforting in its own way. And uh, we thought that maybe we would share some of the things that we learned about writing about loss. So, Lisa, I've got plenty to say about Tuesdays with Maury, but tell us about I Wonder, a a guided grief journal, and how it relates to 14 Days. And tell us what what sort of you went through in 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 the writing about the loss of someone who you cared about so much, your mother. Well... Sort of, I mean, it's the same as when you went through with Chica, although what you went through was much worse because it was a child, right? Yeah. Um, you were writing about somebody who was very close to you, family. And um, for me, it started out basically as a journal. I was I was giving myself journaling exercises to write while my mom was dying, just so I could process what was happening. And um, through that... It became a book uh, of sorts, you know, a memoir when it first came out. And what I wanted to do with this guided grief journal, the publisher approached me and and said, maybe we should do something for other people because the memoir was about me and my situation. And this book here is a book for you to write about the person that you lost. And um, all of the exercises are designed to sort of get certain things out of you, you know, um, and to and to guide you 
toward healing, I would say, you yeah. know? Now, um, I, I have to ask you about journaling, and I want to confess something, and perhaps it surprises people, and perhaps it shouldn't surprise anybody. As a writer, I do not journal. I ah, do not. I, I do not write down the experiences I have or whatever. I spend so much of my day writing, writing working on right. books, and when not books, screenplays or articles or columns, that I just can't bring myself to sit down and write anymore about my, my life outside of writing. So it's interesting that all of the uh, things that happen to me, unless I am putting them in a book, three cases so far that were nonfiction, Tuesdays with Maury, Have a Little Faith, and Finding Chica, uh, mm-hmm. I will not sit down and journal anything. So tell me about journaling as a, as a human act. What does it do well, for you? It's, well, it's sort of a therapeutic device, and that's what I want to ask you really quick. What do you do? Like, okay, when I have something that's really bothering me and that's sort of, you know, um, tangled up in my brain, I find that journaling is a way for me to untangle my brain. So, um, and that can be anything. That's just not just loss. It could be work problems or home problems or whatever. I always turn to my journal, and I have ever since I was a teenager. Mm. And I wonder if there's a difference between young girls with their little lock and key diaries and and young boys. I don't think, at least when I grew up, boys journaled. They didn't do diaries, you know, like no, yeah. girls did. And I wonder if that's perhaps where it starts and why you never got into journaling. But I've been doing it since I was a little kid. And yeah. so for me, it's it's almost like talking to a therapist, but you're just figuring out problems on your own. I get them out of my brain onto my page. Normally by morning, if I look back at what I wrote, uh, many times I look at it and see, wow, that really was bothering me yesterday and it doesn't seem to be as bad today. You know, it, it just helps to sort of tamper everything down a little bit and help you make sense of things. So I find it to be an unbelievable therapeutic device to help get through things. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, and as I'm listening to you talk, I realize that I prefer, and I guess always have preferred, to let my feelings chill and then write about what I thought and how I felt and why I think I thought and felt the way that I Mm. did. So Mm -hmm. for me, it's much more interesting to write about it in the past tense and to say the day that you died or the day we had that argument or the day that uh, I, I found out that news, I remember feeling this and this and this and this and this. And right. only in the days that followed was I able to da, 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 as opposed to sitting down and saying, today I feel so, 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 so. Then the next day, today I don't feel as much so, 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 so. And, and both of them, by the way, are, are, are valid and good. Yeah. Because uh, the advantage that you have over what I have is that you are writing it raw. You are writing it um, as you're feeling it. You are writing yes. the bubbles of the cauldron. You are the, yes. you can write, put the bubbles on the on the page because it's you know it's all popping mm-hmm. there. Um, I have to rely on memory of those things mm. 
how did I feel? But I do find that when I rely on my memory, and I'm not trying to rely on my memory two years later, you know, it could be a couple weeks later, it's still still fresh in your mind. The things that I remember the most are the things that really were what I was feeling. And some of the other stuff drains away because it wasn't that strong. And and that's the difference between when, you know, someone writes, if you go look at, I don't know, September 14th, the entry, and it's seven pages long, and only one thing happened that day, you're going to have to, when you want to put it into some other form, you have to get rid of a lot of the stuff there. You You have to weed it out. You have to weed it out. Right. That that is true. Well, and it's amazing to me, though, that you can write that way, because I think my my problem is I forget so much that I have to write it down. I mean, on a daily basis, I write everything down. I have multiple notebooks for everything. I have a show notebook. I have a, you know, life notebook. I have a work notebook. Um, so I write everything down. But um, uh, my dad, for instance, keeps a journal and has since he retired. And his journal, though, is very uh, kind of what you're saying. Like his journal is, today I woke up at 6.45 a.m. Yeah. I had oatmeal. Um, it was 32 degrees outside. <laughs> you know, that's the kind of journal uh-huh. my dad keeps. Mine is more like, you know, you know, oh dear Lord, when will this pain go away? Right. You know, <laughs> something right. a little more, a little more deep or who can I call or why is she mad at me or whatever my topic is of the day. So it's amazing to me that you can write how you write and you write so beautifully and, and, and to write memoir the way you wrote it. But here's something interesting. For Maury, in fact, and we know this because we play these on our show, you recorded him. Correct. So what a tool you had at that time to come back to to write this book in Maury's words. And 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 here we are. In truth, in Maury, in Have a Little Faith, which was a story of uh, two stories concurrent of a rabbi who— an older rabbi in his 90s, or late 80s and 90s, who had asked me to do his eulogy at his funeral, and a mm-hmm. pastor who ended up, uh, uh, was an, an ex-con and a drug dealer, and, and then turned his life around and took over a church with a hole in its roof. In both of those cases, I went with tape recorders and sat with those people for many, right. many, many times. In Maury's case, you know, whatever it was, 16, 18 uh, Tuesdays in a row. In the rabbi's case, over the course of nearly eight years, whenever wow. I would go and visit with him, I took a tape recorder and I had that. And when I started to know that I was going to do a book uh, about it, I started to record my my conversations with uh, the pastor as well, and I filmed a lot of it. And in the case of Chica, while I never had to sit down and do an interview with Chica— we knew because when we brought Chica up and we found out that she had a brain tumor, uh, I knew that time could be short. I mean, we prayed and prayed and hoped against hope, but we also yeah. filmed everything, everything. Yeah. We have every uh, moment that is possible, and I am so glad I do because we cherish those things. And if someone ever sends us, you know, someone who might have come by one day and taken a picture of Chica or a little video of Chica— uh, and they say, yeah. oh, I found this when I was looking through it. It is like receiving manna from heaven. If you ever ask me, you know, I have a birthday coming up next month. Uh-huh. So what, what would you want for your birthday? I, I could answer you in two seconds. The only thing I want are more more evidence of Chica. You know, a, a photo uh-huh. that I don't have, a, a little sentence that I don't have, a tape recording that I don't have, a 12-second video of her laughing or something that I don't have. I cherish those things. And when I wrote Finding Chica, I had all of that transcribed and all of it in front of me so that I could look at it, 
read it, listen to it, and, 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 and recreate it. And so I did, you're right, in the case of the books, I did have lots of supplemental help to remember what went on, but that's because I knew I wanted to make them books. But it's interesting yeah. that because I write books like that, I don't have the impetus to record every one of my feelings when I'm feeling them. Uh, it's just yeah. too much for me. It's too it's too much. I, I just don't want to write it all down. And I'm sure you know things waft through my brain and and go. You know, uh, and and sometimes really good ideas and sometimes really good sentences, and I'll never get them back. And I've taken to me they're the kites that fly away, Lisa. That's how I look at it. It's like, how many kites have you had in the course of your life? Nobody knows because every now and then no. you let it go and it gets stuck in a tree or it flies away. You got to go get another kite and you start all over. This is Jess Betancourt, the host of DNA ID, the only true crime podcast that exclusively covers cases solved using forensic genealogy. DNA ID goes behind the headlines to answer your questions about this remarkable new crime-solving tool, how it works, how cases are selected, why the cases were unsolved for so long, and how the justice system is addressing it. I include input from law enforcement to give you the inside scoop that we all crave with a straightforward, no-nonsense delivery. You can find DNA ID on any podcast platform. Episodes come out weekly on Mondays. That's true. Well, do you keep that notebook next to your bed that you're supposed to keep uh, in case you get a brilliant idea in the middle of the night? To I write do it have out? that. It's not a notebook. I use sticky notes. Uh, the um, oh, what's uh -huh. you call it? The sticky pads. And I have one. Yeah. Uh, I have one on my uh, nightstand, and I have one in the bathroom. Uh, for whatever reason, when that. I brush my teeth, <laughs> I get a lot of ideas. I don't know why. <laughs> Uh, because it's, that, it's the beginning of the day and the end of the day. I'm brushing my, and I, I, I have it right there, right next to the sink, and I write down all kinds of little, sometimes a sentence will come to me, yeah. how, you know, how to just say something in a book, a phrase, an idea for a character, the name of a book. And then I have, um, because whenever I go around, I always have a, uh iPad with me. That's sort mm -hmm. of my thing of choice. Um, whenever I get an idea for a book, whether it be the name of a book title of a book, idea for a book, concept of a book, sentence for a book, or even a character name, I send myself an email and the message field says, book idea. And then wow. then when I get a chance, you know, uh, three weeks, four weeks, I go through my mail and I just search for book idea. I find all the emails that have that in the field ah. and then I, then I sock them away into a file and I print out that file and I keep a printed copy of it on my desk and I just read it every now and then to get ideas and things like that. So I've got, people always say to me, do you have, um, you know, do you ever have writer's block? You have writer's mm -hmm. block. And I said, oh my God, is that not my problem? My, my problem <laughs> is I don't have enough years left to write all the books that I've already got in my files that I have to write. You know, I, I, even if I write one every year, I'd never get through all of them. And so, all the uh, ideas, it, yeah, right. all the ideas that I have. So, yeah, I do keep, I guess I, you know, I do keep track of things and ideas, but I don't sit down each night and or morning and just journal my feelings. I, I, yeah. I think I throw too much of my feelings into my books when I do them, and it's just, I can't, it's like somebody's swimming. Swimming mm -hmm. is great, and everybody wants to be in a swimming pool, but nobody wants to live in a swimming pool. Right. right. You don't know anybody who says, no, you know what? I'm just going to eat in the pool. I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to read in the pool. I'm going to bring the TV over here. I'll stay in the pool. And I want you, you want to get out of the pool periodically. Well, I, I want to get out of the pool of the, you know, constantly writing my emotions down. And since I do it for books, I guess I just don't do it every day. 
Well, it's probably best that you do that because you save it all for your books, which are so beautiful. And that's why they are, because you don't throw all that out. You know, I mean, I never go back to my journals to say, what did I write for this book? It's funny because 14 days, though I did these exercises for myself, that's not what made it to the book. What made it to the book were my Facebook posts that I posted for family and friends to sort of keep them abreast of what was happening with my mom so I didn't have to send individual emails out 50 times a day, which you know how hard that is. Um, So I would just post one or two posts or three posts a day and say, this is what happened today. This is what's going on. That way, anybody who needed to know could find out. Well, those were what I kind of wove together to do the first book. And it wasn't intentional. I didn't mean to do that. But it was friends who said, you should really make this into a book. I think this could help people. And it was friends responding to some of those posts, right? Yes, it was friends responding. Friends saying, oh, you know, that one, that one really, that moved me or what you wrote moved me. So we have that in common too, because uh, to return more to, you know, how do you write about loss? How do you write about grief? One of the things that, um, I think everybody should remember if they are trying to write something for someone else. Now, this is not, are you going to write a little book that you're just going to keep for yourself and you're going to read later or maybe share with your kids. But if you're trying to write something that other people are going to read, I believe the thing you need to keep in mind the most is what are you going through? Or if you're writing in the past tense, what did you go through? Mm -hmm. That is universal. That is not distinct to you. And this is why, and when people say, well, why do you think Tuesdays with Maury sold so many copies or whatever? Well, first of all, I, I always say I have no idea. And it's, uh-huh. it wasn't supposed to when it was a tiny book and it was never supposed to. The publisher turned it down left and right. We couldn't find anybody wanted to publish it. It's a whole story like that, a happy accident. Mm-hmm. But now that so many people have read it, when I look at it sort of dispassionately, I say, I think the reason that so many people took to it is because they could find themselves in the book. It wasn't yeah. a book that was unique to me or unique mm-hmm. to Maury. Yes, there were pages that were dedicated to, this is how Maury grew up in his past, and here's how I grew up. But I bet if you added them up, they wouldn't be more than 10 or 15 pages of the book. The rest mm-hmm. were universal things that went on. What, what do I mean by universal? Everybody has a teacher. Everybody can relate to having a favorite teacher. We've all had one. Mm-hmm. Everybody can relate if they went to college to finding that teacher who made you feel like you were kind of special at a time in your life when you needed to feel special because you were on your own for your first time. Everyone has had a, a mentor of some kind, someone who has guided their life. Sometimes it's a teacher, sometimes it's a grandparent, sometimes it's somebody at work. Well, Maury was like that for a lot of people. Everyone has gone through a stage where they've asked themselves, is this all there is to life? You know, I, I, I'm, I'm becoming successful, but I don't feel satisfied. Everybody goes through that at some point or another, and I went through that. So I tried to focus on the things that would always result in a sentence, everybody has gone through this. Everybody can relate to this. So yes. when Maury talked about his family and leaving his family behind and what that was going to be, I knew that was something that people could talk about. When Maury talked about forgiveness and having to let go of petty squabbles or disagreements, 
uh, and and have to having to move on. I knew that people could relate to that. You know, he talked mm-hmm. about a friend named Norman, and he, who he, he you know he, he he lost touch with, and we've talked about this on the show. And then yeah, the man we talked died. about it last week. Yeah, yeah, the man died, and he didn't have a chance to. But but I knew when he told me that story, it's Norman for him. But it's Joe for somebody else, and it's Sarah for yes. somebody else, and it's you know uh, Daryl for somebody else, and 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 I knew that that would be universal. So when you try to put a story together, uh-huh. write about the things that you know will relate to somebody else, even if you're telling them about you. On the other hand, yes, if you are a um, if your career is a circus clown. Uh, and you're the person that you were involved with is a uh, is a weightlifter, and you talk about how you shared this love of jet engines and how you would spend all this time taking engines apart. You've got to be a really skilled writer to get anybody yeah. to care about that story other than you. And yeah. this is what I mean by you know finding the universal versus the specific. Yeah, and I wish I could have done more of that in my memoir. I mean, I. I mean, I guess it was universal because everybody loses somebody, and especially um, their mothers. People, it's yeah, their close. mothers. It was a loss of a mother. It was going through hospice. It was the challenges that people face when going through that and caring for somebody, and you know, all of it. Um, right. So, and then family discord. I wrote about that. Everybody goes through that, and probably one of the biggest things that most strangers would write to me about was that. It was interesting. Was people saying, "Oh, yeah, I haven't talked to my brother since my mom died." Um, you know, my sister and I haven't spoken over my mom's will right. or something. You know, it's always there's so many family issues that came place. So I guess it was that way. But you did it with Maury masterfully. Like it, it obviously, since we're still talking about it here, twenty five years later, <laughs> and that's what this show is about. Well, sometimes um, I think it, in that case it was just simple. It was, you know, trying, in in Maury's case, and this speaks to something else that I want to address about it, finding the voice for your book, finding the voice for your story. In Maury's case, Maury's voice was really the voice, and all I really needed Mm -hmm. to do was sort of talk about how I went there, I sat, I listened, and here's what he had to say. Here was my question, here was his answer. Here was my question, here was his answer. When I was away from him, I thought about what he said. I wrote, I write down what he said. I thought, because his voice really carried that. In Finding mm-hmm. Chica, Chica was a five-year-old girl, a six-year-old girl, a seven-year-old girl, and she passed away when she was seven. You can't really tell the story so much in that voice. So in that book, I decided I would tell the story by talking to her because mm-hmm. everything with Chica was about conversation and was the way that she reacted to me You know, when I would say, oh, boy, and she would say, why do you say, oh, boy? There are no boys here. And I said, oh, it's just uh, something I say. <laughs> Why don't you say, oh, girl? You know, like the way she would challenge you like that <laughs> was so much girl. a part of it. Right. So I wrote yeah. the book in second person, which is a hard mm-hmm. way to write. The book yeah, is always that's hard. you, you, Chica, you, Chica. Well, here's what I did to you. And, Chica, and then when we, Chica, and you and me, Chica. And we, but it worked because it was, you know, she was sitting on the floor with me her angel self sitting on the floor with me while I wrote that book and I refer to her to that. So by finding that, that became the conceit of that book. So that's the other thing you have to decide is how am I going to tell this? Am I going to tell this like there I was and then my mother was there whatever? Or am I going to say, dear mom, um, I'm writing this after you passed away. Let me mm-hmm. tell you about this. And, and uh, there's a wonderful book called Gilead, one of my favorite books ever, 
by Marilyn mm, Robinson mm-hmm. Gilead, and it is written mm-hmm. as a letter from an old pastor to his very young son, and the pastor is about to die, and he's sort of putting his whole life into perspective. And so that one is also kind of written in the first person, but but a little bit towards the second person, you know, in terms of addressing it. And, and there, that's a good way to tell it. It's like a, a letter to somebody or a remembrance to somebody. But finding that voice will make a big, big difference in, in how well your book is received and how, um, how you find it natural to speak mm-hmm. in those words. Yep. Yeah, that's so true. But everybody has it. Like, I think, you know, everybody has the ability to at least write it down in journal form or write out their feelings and thoughts and their story and just give it a try, you know? Mm -hmm. It doesn't have to go any further than your drawer, but it'll help you feel better. (laughs) Right. If you want to read a wonderful book about loss that should inspire you, even though nobody can write like him, read A Grief Observed by C.S. Lewis. Uh. That yes. he wrote after his wife died. And mm-hmm. um, I have in front of me here, I just pulled it out while we were talking because I've read that book so many times, lines that I pulled out of that book that I just thought were beautiful. Um, and I'm just looking at them right now. Uh, her absence is like the sky spread over everything. Mm. Uh, yeah. You tell me she goes on. But my heart and body are crying out, come back, come back. Mm. Uh, because she's in God's hands, you say. But if so, she was in God's hands all the time. And I've seen what they did to her here. Did they suddenly become gentler to us at the moment we were out of the body? If so, why? If God's goodness is inconsistent with hurting us, then either God is not good or there is not God. For in the only life we know... He hurts us beyond our worst fears and beyond all we can imagine. If it is consistent with hurting us, then he may hurt us after death as unendurably as before it. Mm. I mean, you can feel, you can feel his pain. This one finally, and grief still feels like fear, perhaps more strictly like suspense or like waiting, just hanging about waiting for something to happen. It gives life a permanently provisional feeling. It doesn't seem worth starting anything. I can't settle down. I yawn. I fidget. I smoke too much. Up till this, I always had too little time. Now there is nothing but time, almost pure time, empty successiveness. Mm. I mean, yeah, get a hold of that book and you'll be inspired to do it of your own. And then get Lisa's book because it just came out today. So you should get it. (laughs) I wonder. And write your own masterpiece. That's right. Yes, I wonder. I wonder a guide to grief journal. You can it's it's dedicated. There's a dedicated thing in there, and it just says it's dedicated to blank, and that will be your person. So perfect. Write write yep. your own story, and you may find it. I I have to say, in all three cases, uh, with Maury, with uh, Rabbi Albert Lewis, and and Pastor Henry Covington, and with Chica, um, after it was done, and it can be a painful experience, but after it was done, I was glad that I had written all of those. And uh, mm-hmm. they have, when I pick them up and just leaf through them, the people come back to me. The, the, yep. the, the subjects of the book come back to me. And I, and that's, that's the best you can hope for from writing about your loss and writing about your grief is that in, somehow in the grieving and the loss, you get a gain, you get a return, you, you create a new life, the, 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 the printed page life of the character or the person in your life that's no longer there. And people can embrace that. Truth. 
The book by Lisa Goitz is I Wonder, a guided grief journal. You already know my books, and we thank you for listening to our podcast here today. You can find out more about our previous podcasts and other subject matters, group discussion chats, and the like at wetuesdaypeople.com, wetuesdaypeople.com. On behalf of Lisa Goitz, congratulations, published uh, author you. today. Uh, thank I you, am, Mitch. I am Mitch Album. saying to you, as always, see you next Tuesday. Thank you for listening to Tuesday People. To be part of our conversation, join the Tuesday People community at wetuesdaypeople.com. Subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss an episode and share it with your friends. We look forward to having you with us every Tuesday because, after all, we're Tuesday People. <laughs>